and it was wasn't uncommon to see a Volkswagen Rabbit or a Vol- or five or six of us under 14 piled in there with, with guns driving around trying to find some deer. You know, if they're watching it live, I'm sorry. I'm sitting in my garage office in my underwear. Actually, no, I got some pants on, just no shoes. If you want to have uh, your ego crushed, just go read comments of what people say about you on, you know, in a public platform. Oh my gosh, my feet were just destroyed. And I don't think that they've healed yet to this day. Just because the name of the show is Solo Hunter and the brand is Solo Hunter and my Instagram tag is Solo Hunter, it doesn't mean that I'm a loner and have to be alone all the time. Whatever I need to take in, that's how much it weighs. I have no idea. I've never weighed my pack once. I think sometimes people get caught up in trying to produce a film and not just document the adventure. And that's what I'm all about, is documenting what I'm doing and then trying to throw a little little bit of cinematography into it. Hey guys, this is Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter and you're listening to Living Country in the City with Sam, episode number 47. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in for episode 47 of Living Country in the City. All right, now, getting to it. After my, uh, let's face it, uh, mess of a solo backcountry hunt, uh, I figured that I needed to get some serious tips about facing the backcountry alone. So I figured I'd reach out to the solo hunter himself, Tim Burnett. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Tim, thanks for hopping on the show with me today. Hey, no problem. So, so you're looking for tips on how to cope with having a disastrous elk hunt? Is that, <laughs> that why you contacted me? Because getting, getting tips on how to, how to not have a disastrous elk hunt, I don't know, you might have... Should have called Corey or somebody. <laughs> well, I, I, I definitely I tried talking with Corey beforehand, and uh, I got some tips with him, and I managed to do everything but what he said, I'm sure. Right. Um, <laughs> no, if, if, if you listen to what Corey says, you just walk around the woods blowing your blowing your bugle tubes as hard as you can everywhere, right? No. <laughs> That's how it works, right? He's got it dialed. He's got uh, it figured out. The elk magically uh, magically appear wherever you blow your bugle tube. It's kind of like 
rubbing a, a magic genie's lantern, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what everybody would like like to think that elk hunting is, is just go out and blow your tube and call in an elk. Sometimes that's how it is, but not in my experience very often. Well, I definitely uh, I definitely learned a very hard lesson this year with that. Uh, ended up, uh, I, I went out right, right during that kind of what was supposed to be that peak rut. And when it, it had been like in the 70s and 80s the whole time. And so I'm like, I'm going to go way up high. Yeah, I was going to say that week that it was the peak rut, that's also when it was the peak rain and crappy weather, too. Yeah, I, I suddenly walked into a fantastic snowstorm and got to hike through several feet of snow and realized that all the elk had gone further, got yeah. a lot lower down. Um, Where'd you go? Which part of the state did you head to? Uh, I went into, now I'm blanking on the unit, uh, you don't have to drop names if you don't want. I'm just curious which which general area. Oh, I don't have any honey holes or anything. I think it was Unit 29. It was uh, not not all the way on the Montana border, but it was it was right in right outside of like Lador. Um, yeah, Lador. Yeah, we used to play those guys in high school sports when they had enough boys in their school to have an actual basketball team. <laughs> We'd travel out to Lador. There's some good country over there. Oh yeah, I uh, I managed to find some of the worst of it. Uh, I had a buddy that uh, um, used to work pretty deep back in there, and uh, he ended up having to come. I tore the meniscus in both of my knees on that trip, wow. and uh, he ended up having to come in. Uh, I I sent him a text through my Delorme, and uh, he came in and packed me out on his on his horses. Great guy. Um, but uh, yeah, he told me he's like, I saw you were going in there, and he's like, you know, I kind of I didn't want to totally talk you out of going there. But it was also, I just knew how bad it was. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that area, I, I, I've hunted that area um, a little farther south than 29. So I think it was, what well, you know, was that 30, 30 or 31? There's a late, late muzzleloader elk hunt in there. Crap, I'm terrible. I can't even remember which unit it was, but it was just right outside of Lador there. I think 30 is right on the Montana border on the, yeah. the other side of Lador. Or Ledor. Um, so you're on the west side. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, no, that was a that was a bit of a trial for a, a first ever backcountry hunt. Uh, yeah, man, there's easier elk to be had than over there. That's for sure. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> who wants an easy elk? <laughs> right, I do sometimes. Yeah. I kind of do right now myself. <laughs> no, that country over there, it's just there's something about it. I mean, it's it's really cool country, and um, you never know what you're going to get into, whether it's wolves or, or grizzlies or elk or deer. I mean, it's it's kind of a cool place over there. Yeah, I definitely. I I uh, woke up every morning. There was uh, I was camping just on the edge of uh, this meadow, kind of right behind the tree line. And there was, I woke up every morning and there was quite a few wolf tracks through that meadow uh, every morning and um, found a, I found a couple of elk parts, just no whole elk. But so um, why don't you, for, for my guests that maybe aren't as familiar with Solo Hunter, maybe give me some background, uh, one on just, how you got your start in hunting, um, you know, what first got you into the outdoors and then also maybe kind of what you're doing now. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I just like everybody else, you know, as a kid, you start hunting and how everybody 
how we get into it might be a little bit different, but I was introduced to hunting not by my dad, but by a, a guy that moved into the valley, a retired military guy, um, Carl Van Dusen. He kind of introduced my brothers and I into archery at first. I mean, we started bow hunting or shooting bows and stuff before before even the thought of gun hunting. And so the first year that I hunted when I was 12, I actually was bow hunting. Didn't even gun hunt until I was 13. Um, so he kind of got us into it just because his son was a little bit too young. And then my dad was a little bit too busy and we kind of hit it off with Carl. He had a really fast car. And so uh, <laughs> it was a perfect fit for us young kids. And, and, you know, through my early teenage years, Carl really kind of Carl and then, and then my uncle, um, you know, saw that we had some interest in it and he was an avid bow hunter. So he kind of, he kind of took us on a few trips when we were young and just, you know, just hunted. And then I, I realized too that it was, it was, uh, you know, in the grown up world, they have to go to work, they have jobs, so they can't necessarily just drop everything and go hunting. And sometimes they have honeydews to do on Saturdays. So my brothers and I would end up going out by ourselves or with our buddies. I mean, it was, wasn't uncommon to see a Volkswagen rabbit or a, or, you know, a red Ford courier from my buddy and, and five or six of us under 14 piled in there with, with guns driving around trying to find some deer, you know, (laughs) Just growing up very rural in that Lost River Valley, um, you know that was just kind of that was just kind of typical, kind of common. And we lived right next to some a massive track of BLM land, and and that butted up against a bunch of national forests. So you could literally walk out our back door and and go for miles and miles and just hunt. Um, and so that's kind of what we did. And I remember um, Carl; he had this. W- bookcase full of vhs tapes um, all of hunting videos and there was a bunch of uh, you know dwight shoe and and um larry d jones wayne carlton i mean just all the old awesome dudes when when hunting was cool all of these vhs tapes and my brothers and i just consumed those and i can vividly remember sitting in carl's basement when we were bringing in his tapes back probably they didn't work because we had worn them out <laughs> and i'm like when i when i get big I want to make hunting videos for a job. Like that's what I want to do for a living. So it really, for me, it started, it started early and, uh, right out of high school, I bought a video camera. It was one of those Sony high eight tape, tape cameras. And, um, I mean, at the time, I think that was like a $1,200 camera or something. So it was like now for 1200 bucks, you can get an awesome camera. And back then it was just like, that was a piece of crap. (laughs) And then just started filming and really, really always had a passion for it, I guess. more It was more just something else to do out in the wild while I'm hunting. And then when there wasn't any hunting seasons going on, it gave me an excuse to get out there and chase chase the critters a little bit more. So, so is it a is it a weird thought now thinking that, you know, there's there's probably kids out there that are, are going on YouTube or, or the Outdoor Channel and watching the stuff you're putting out and thinking – that exact, those exact same things, you know, they're going through those videos time after time and, and thinking like, Oh man, you know, I, I want to be just like, just like Tim. I want to go out and, and film my hunts and, and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can see, you get the comments and the the questions and the emails and that, and that's awesome to be able to interact and, and everything. And, but I've never really, I've never really thought of it as, as, you know, Hey, I'm an influencer. I'm influencing somebody, how they can, get into the outdoors. And I know that, I know that I do, and I'm glad, um, for sure. But for me, it, it's always been, that's, that's what I personally wanted to do. And so 
in order to do that, you've got to be able to monetize it and whatever else. And so to do that, you've got to share it. And that's just kind of you call it popularity or whatever else. It's really it is kind of cool to see see people liking your stuff. And then there's people that don't like your stuff. You know, there's people that like like the types of hunts you go on and there's people that don't, you know. Um, but when you when you get in when I get an email or or a message or something like that of, of asking questions and I take the time to respond to it. And just seeing the gratitude of their response back, saying thank you so much for, for replying to this email. I've, I've sent emails off to a half a dozen different guys, and you're the only one that's responded. You know, And, and I know that's changing now. There's a lot of, of my associates and my peers in the industry that work really hard to reply to emails and reply to questions and comments because that's that's exactly where we were You know, a long time ago. The difference was we didn't really have – the social media or the digital platforms that gave us access to these guys, you know, our only access to, um, to any of these people was at trade shows or, or consumer shows and different things that we would go to as kids. And if we were lucky, we would be able to ask them some questions or even meet them. Maybe. I mean, I remember the first time I went to a show in Salt Lake, I think I was 14 maybe with the scouts who went down there and it was, it was what the Hunt Expo is now, but it wasn't the Hunt Expo then. I don't know what it was, ISE show or something. And I remember I was able to meet um, it was Larry D. Jones. I met Wayne Carlton. Uh, Jim Zumbo was there. Um, the famous Chuck Adams was there. You know, I was able to meet all these guys and get pictures with them. And, and uh, you know, I'm a kid. I don't know what questions I'm, I'm asking them. And, and there was just all of us boys there just enamored with these with these heroes of ours. But that was our access to them. And so it kind of, in a way, it made them a little bit more special in my mind than what we are, what we or other people within the industry might be today. Because um, there's a lot more people that are influencing on the digital world. And everybody's a lot more accessible. You know, even my heroes that I have today, they're more accessible. I can send somebody an email or I can make a comment on a post or interact with, with these men. And, um, you know, and that's just something that we couldn't do as a kid. So it's really kind of a, a neat time for those, those growing up in the, in it now, you know, it's, yeah, it's very interesting because I mean, you know, I mean, with what I do is I don't, I'm, I'm so new at this, uh, really most of the contacts I've made have been through doing this podcast and, and through introductions from guests to, to other guests. And, uh, and I've noticed it's really, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, with how Instagram works and stuff like that, you just don't get messages right away, but it's just the amount of people that reply back. I get, I still get excited every time someone writes me back and <laughs> <laughs> says, you know, hey, yeah, well, uh, totally, I'd be willing to hop on. And um, right. but it's, I can only imagine, you know, I I get it, I get enough messages that I I have trouble responding to them, and you know, I have a a, a very loyal but a teeny a teeny little following um, compared to what a lot a lot of you guys have, and uh, so I can only imagine the the influx and the the time it takes to really get back to those people and uh yeah it depends i mean there's a lot of i mean i had this conversation with um brian call gritty bowman he and i went on a hunt last week in oklahoma and i had a i mean we had a week together just one-on-one to just just um you know 
ask questions and just kind of learn from each other and, and problem solve and plan and everything. And like, that's, that's one of the things that I asked him. I'm like, dude, how many emails and questions do you really get? You know, because certain people like Brian, they open themselves up to that. Like they're, they're asking for the input or they're very controversial. So they're getting a lot of, a lot of messages and everything. And there's, I think there's guys like Remy and I, you know, we're not, you know, maybe not as approachable or don't open ourselves up for that. So we get, a, I mean, don't get me wrong. I get a ton of messages and, and emails and everything, but it's not near what other people are, are saying they're getting, you know, or, or anything like that. They're, I guess what I'm saying is, is certain platforms lead themselves well to being, being approachable and, you know, people wanting to contact them because they've actually made themselves a bit available more often. But, um, some of us don't, you know, make us make ourselves available as much, I suppose. I don't know if that's if that's exactly what I was trying to say, but you know. Um. Well, and I can imagine too. There's there's a lot of different types of messages that that come in, and you know, if not every single one's going to require an in depth answer either. You know, sometimes it's just people saying, "Hey, I love what you're doing. Keep it up," um, or "Hey, stop killing animals. I hope you burn in hell." Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's more like it's more like you know if you're talking about gear and how you use it and everything else, then that's in that in a, that in a way is opening yourself up to a lot of questions and to a lot of input and all that. You know, mm-hmm. well, how do you do this and this and this, and that just leads into more, which is great. And that's that's not something that I've really wanted to position myself as is is the gear guru or the this is what I use, so you should use it. Um, it's more just representing hunting in a way that I feel like hunting should be represented and representing the brands that I'm partnered with. Um, you know, and so that, that tends to lead to a little bit more of a passive audience. Um, someone that enjoys the entertainment, um, enjoys the conservation aspect of it and the, the platform that, that, that I'm on, but not necessarily the interactive, um, the interactive type of an audience, which that fits me personally. Uh, my personality is not necessarily the, you know, I don't want to be an educator and be out there, out there too much. Well, I think I, I think I remember hearing hearing you say somewhere, um, I don't know if it was on a video, uh, you were talking about, I don't know if I even want to call it like your social anxiety, but oh, just in large groups of people, <laughs> especially <laughs> like at expos and stuff like that. Uh, uh, I'm notorious for flying into Indianapolis or the SHOT Show or Salt Lake and being there for a couple of hours and then flying back home, you know, like... <laughs> I don't do large groups very well, and which is which is ironic because when I first got in, I mean, when I, as you're getting in the industry, like you're learning and you're changing, you're evolving, and you're evolving. You know, I've done some stupid things and said some stupid things, and I think we all have. But like, I mean, at one time I got contacted by ISC to do speaking and do seminars at all at you know a bunch of their Western locations. I'm like, yeah, sweet, that'd be that'd be awesome. I can make a little bit of money. I can meet a lot of people. Man, I did that for four, one year for, I think I did two or three shows and I knew, I was like, oh no, there is no way I can do this, man. This is not me. <laughs> I'm okay in a, in a, you know, a podcast setting or in a, in a small question and answer setting or just, you know, a round table, but you put me in front of a group of people that are actually, actually paying attention to what you're saying and what you're saying, what, what would I feel like what I'm saying is not that big of a deal. You know, it's like, oh God, it gave me anxiety so bad. 
So I shouldn't tell you there's like 2,000 people watching this live. Or... You know, if they're watching it live, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sitting in my garage office in my underwear. Actually, no, I got some pants on, just no shoes and a hoodie. <laughs> no, if they're watching it live, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm just messing. I, <laughs> I don't know. I think the last even Instagram live I did, I had, had uh, 16 people on, and that was like super exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, live... Life scares me because um, I'm prone to I'm prone to uh, I don't know say stupid not say stupid stuff but I'm just I'm just, I don't know I like I like to be edited a little bit you know be pulled back and reined in a little bit because if, if you get me on a true tantrum which Brian got I hope I got he's supposed to send me the proofs of those podcasts <laughs> we did four different podcasts this week um, that we're going to publish on on both of our both of our platforms and I came on unplugged on one of them just we got i mean we're like we weren't yelling back and forth but we were kind of like our voices were definitely raised so it was, it was fun but i i like to be in a more packaged situation i guess you know i know exactly what you mean my <laughs> somebody people look a lot better when you can cut out the bad parts you know oh man i there let's just say these are heavily edited <laughs> yeah. I, Oh my gosh! I I had I did a podcast with Jay Scott and uh, I I shot him over the the audio. Um, I didn't realize he wanted to release it and he released the raw audio and I was oh you're kidding! And it was fortunately it was one of the better podcasts I did. Uh, I actually didn't sound like a total jackass, no. but uh, yeah, he released the the full audio and I was just horrified. I was like, no. <laughs> I think the thing that I worry about the most, not worry about, but, um, so Joel, Joel, he, Joel's kind of my brand manager. He is my brand manager. He does a lot of the social media or the not social, the newsletter marketing and campaigns, the Facebook ads, all that kind of thing. Um, helps me out with a lot of that. And that's like in every meeting that we have, that's my biggest concern. I'm like, I don't care if what we're doing, if, I don't care if um, there's a shock factor to it and we can get more people that like it. If there's a chance that there's more people that don't like it, I don't want to do it, you know, because I'm, I just, I don't handle negativity very well. And I guess that's another, another reason why I like to be edited. And, and you know, I, I don't, I don't like to get out there socially and, and even going through YouTube comments and all that. It's like, Oh man, if, if you want to have uh, you know, an, a ball buster and, and have your ego crushed. Just go read comments of what people say about you on, you know, in a public platform. Like, so I'm really cautious that I don't want to, I want to, I want to piss off the fewest number of people possible, I guess. It's kind of <laughs> where I'm, what I'm trying to get. To. I'm with you. And it's, it's sometimes it's not even a matter of just pissing people off. It's just a matter of some people just don't like your voice. Some people don't like your personality. They don't like, the video that you've done or whatever else. And so I'm just a little bit more guarded than I used to be. You know, I used to be like carefree, who cares, whatever, throw it out there. But no, I'm with you. I, I definitely, I just don't like being at odds with people Sure, one way or the other. It's, you know, it's, and it's one thing, you know, if you have some, some crazy person from like Thailand coming <laughs> in and yelling at you for killing an animal or whatever, like that doesn't bother me so much, but yeah, I just don't like being at odds with people. I mean, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy most of the time. Right. You're in the industry now, you know. I mean, you're you're out there, and you're putting yourself out there. And, you know, that's 
that's the coolest thing about about social media and the digital world that we live in is it gives everyone an opportunity to create a platform and create something of their dreams, you know, to to put their lives out there and to showcase them and and potentially build, you know, build a revenue generating base that, that they might be able to live off of or a business or a brand or just do it for fun. But that's that's really cool that we have that ability. The downside to it is is I think that because there is that separation, you know, I mean, I could be calling you a dirty SOB, blah, 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 and just really ripping you out knowing that I'm sitting here and you're not, you can't touch me, you know. And so it kind of gives people that, that false sense of security that they can, they can say and do things that they wouldn't say if we were, they were sitting in the same room with you, you know, and that's the downside to it. But um, I kind of think that the good outweighs the bad, definitely. I I would definitely agree with that. Uh, a little bit earlier, you were talking about uh, you know some of your heroes in the industry. Uh, who are who are some people that you think are really doing great stuff in the hunting industry right now that you really admire? Right now, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Remy fan. I, I always have been. That's part of why we kind of partnered up to be to begin with. Um, he's a good 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 dude. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people like Cameron Haynes that I feel like do do things for the hunting industry that no one else really could just because of his personality type and his approach and, and how he does it. And it's too bad because the guy probably catches more flack than anybody in the industry, but he really, he really is a good spokesperson for the majority of, of the hunting industry. Randy Newberg, how can you not love Randy Newberg, whether <laughs> you like his delivery or not, or like, whatever you know the, the fact that he's like me and comes home empty-handed on certain hunts and you know the public land hunter and he, he's got his platform and he's sticking to it and he is you know as good of a spokesperson and representative of wh- what i feel like hunting should be that there is out there um uh, let's see there's i know there's there's a pile of them jim shockey is i mean he's he's in my opinion probably the He's kind of like legend, you know, he's kind of the king, I guess, of, of someone that you really can't, you can't find any fault with Jim, in, in my opinion, from from his public appearance. Personally, whatever, I don't know. I've, I've only met him a couple of times um, and he didn't know who I was. So I kind of took offense to that a little bit. No, <laughs> um, but he's definitely an, an icon in the industry. And there's there's a lot of people that I look up to in the business world that um, aren't necessarily in the celebrity status, but people that just really changed industries like Rocky Jacobson and Wayne Carlton, um, you know, Will Primos, they're, they're all the call guys. But at the time when I was growing up, the call guys were the ones that were making the videos. And so they're the ones that, that we were watching. Um, Larry D. Jones, those guys are still iconic in my mind. They're still doing good things. They're just, they just don't have to be out there constantly promoting themselves and, and, um, doing what we're doing to make a living they've they've done that they've been there and done that so for those of us that are creating content and putting it out there you know it's it's a different there's there's so many of them gosh you could look at <laughs> artists i mean photographers that i'm just enamored with uh darren epp uh tony bynum john hafner i mean there's all these guys that are just so good in different niches of what they do you know no, it's I I always that's one of my favorite questions because I always invariably get a few names that I either don't follow or don't know about that I can I can go in and, you know, 
add to my list of, of people that I can enjoy and be inspired by on a daily basis as I see the stuff they're putting out or the or get to look up older stuff that maybe they already have put out and you know because I I definitely didn't grow up in this and so a lot of the guys over this year like I've uh you know I've been learning about uh, Larry Jones and Wayne Carlton and all these guys and I've been going back and you know so much of their old content that's the other awesome thing about uh, the age we live in now so much of this old content you know, on VHS tapes that would just be normally sitting in someone's basement. And unless you, unless you just happen to know someone that had it, you would never get access to. It's now up on, you know, people have posted them up on YouTube right. and, and stuff like that. And so I've gotten a, I've gotten an awesome chance to, to go see some of this old content. I really enjoy doing that and got to meet, uh, got to meet Rocky at, uh, the ISE show in Salt Lake, uh, this year and had him, there's a video, you know, I I was barely able to get a sound out of, out of an elk call. I was just I was just learning at the time, and you know, I got a chance to sit down with him, and he gave me some tips. And you know, I didn't really know who he was at the time. He was just this this guy that was totally offering to help me out. I'm like, okay, cool. Some some guy wants to show, <laughs> and uh, legend. Oh man, it was it was awesome. There's a video I think on my Instagram somewhere of him. Uh, like I just couldn't. I could I could get the sounds going, but I couldn't get any power behind them. And so you show me how to use my diaphragm. He's like, okay, start making a sound. And he just grabs my stomach and like pushes on my diaphragm. Yeah. And I just belt out this, this, like <laughs> this really loud cow call. And, uh, it's, it's just a great video. Uh, but that's yeah, cool. I'll look for it. But yeah, no, it's, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of amazing people that I just, you know, I want to, I want to learn about and I want to make sure I get to share with other folks like myself that, just didn't grow up with that. Um, so I always love, I love asking that question. Well, the thing of it is, is like you could just go through your news feed on Instagram, you know, and you're going to come across somebody that you don't know who they are. And you're going to be like, wow, this person, this person amazes me. You know, look at their, look at their photos, look at their adventures that they're going on. So, I mean, I get a lot more inspiration when I search the hashtag solo hunters or solo HMTR or solo hunt, just because that's kind of what I'm into. But you go and and search certain hashtags and not necessarily look at the names. Like I I have a bad habit. I scroll through my, my feed so fast. I'm just looking at photos and I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. I like it. I like it. And then I'll read this, read, read the comments and then I'll look and see who wrote it or who posted it. And I'm like, huh, never really been a big fan of that guy, but I like that, you know, that was awesome, you know, so I, I really try not to pay attention to the names, but there are so many people that that are not uh, public figures or not hunting celebrities by any stretch, but are just so inspirational and doing things that I dream of, you know, um, adventures that I want to go on. And here this guy might be a policeman or whatever and just happens to be pretty darn good with the camera and goes on some awesome hunts, you know, or he's a road grade operator and lives in awesome big buck country, takes killer photos because he, you know, he's out there all the time and is just a cool regular dude, you know. Those are the type of people that really inspire me most because those of us that are quote unquote public figures or celebrities or whatever the crap you want to call it, we oftentimes are tainted by, um, you know, partner demands or by our own egos or whatever it might be. So sometimes our content isn't as pure and innocent 
as those that I that I like to follow, you know, or those that aren't that aren't feeling like they have as many eyeballs on them. You know what I mean? Um, again, I probably didn't say that very well, but <laughs> no, I definitely, I definitely get what you're getting at. You know, and it's, you know, when I first started out, I, you know, I would look at okay, you know, who do I, who do I want to follow? You know, who's going to have the good content? Oh, I better follow these guys that have a ton of followers because they're going to have the best content and this and that. Not always. I learned quickly that that's not always the case. I mean, and, you know, to some extent, there's a reason these people have a ton of followers. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time it's because they put out good content. But, you know, I've, I've recently just, you know, I'll see, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, if I see a photo or repost or something, I'll always click and see who's tagged and I'll kind of go a few levels deep and, and find, like you said, some of these people that it may just be average Joe and, uh, really just enjoy enjoying what they're doing and, and not really trying to gain this massive following or whatever. And so, you know, you may not, may never heard of them if I didn't do a little digging. Yeah. There's just a lot of good content out there. That's, what's really cool about Instagram specifically is kind of what I'm talking about. Like I, I like Instagram just because it's very visual, and yet, um, you know, sometimes what people write is very impactful, and you get a, you get a full mix. Like you're changing the channel so fast, you're watching a lot of different things and seeing a lot of different inspirational people and a lot of different stupid people too, you know. And that's the same thing. Somebody goes through my feed, they're like inspirational, inspirational, stupid, inspirational, stupid, 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 inspirational. You know, so it's just kind of you get this whole mix of of people's lives, but it's also such a small glimmer into people's lives too, you know, but, um, it's, it's neat that we have this platform to be able to share because there's a lot that can be learned for the new beginner coming into the hunting industry. Um, a lot to be learned. Well, you know, it, it, it definitely makes it a lot more accessible for someone like me that, you know, has to, uh, buy a plane ticket and a hotel room to get to a lot of these expos that, you know, just, I've got to go a bit further out to get access to uh, a lot of a lot of things uh, or a lot of information or people that I wouldn't normally uh, normally be able to talk to. It's opened that world up and allowed me to uh, be inspired and learn. And and uh, but speaking of that, uh, talk to you. I know how much you love talking about yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what? Uh, you know, your whole brand is solo hunter. Um, that's to some extent that makes a bit of a, a statement in and of itself to really center your brand around that. I mean, what is it that, why solo hunter? Why, what is it about that, uh, about hunt, that solo hunting that, that really calls to you? Why, uh, what do you specifically really love about it? Uh, I, you know, I never intended there to be a brand behind it at all. When it came about, it was, that's the footage that I had. That's the type of hunting that I was doing. And that was just the name that we settled on was solo hunter, you know, and, and it worked out perfect because those were the hunts that I had at the time when I, when the opportunity to have the TV show came about. So the, the thoughts of the brand and everything else kind of came after the fact. I mean, it was just, it was just, I wanted to be be on TV. I wanted to have my show and, and produce my content. And there was other people that I found like Remy and, you know, Fred Waymeyer and some of these others that were really good at it at the time. And so that's, that's what we did. The brand really just kind of evolved later to this day. You know, when people talk about brands, Brian and I had a conversation about it and 
people ask us all the time, you know, about brands. I don't know what a brand is really. It's, it's, you know, when I think of brand, I think of hats and t-shirts, you know, or a product line, but really there's a lot of different, different things of what a brand is, you know, a lot of different categories. And in a sense now there's a lot of personalities that are, that are brands, I suppose, if you want to look at it that way. But, um, it just kind of fit my lifestyle. I've always been, I've always liked the solace of being alone, you know, out in the outdoors, call it, call it depression, call it whatever you might. It's just, that's what I did. And so it kind of was a natural fit, um, into my hunting style. And I learned later on that there's a lot of people that are out there hunting by themselves. And the other part of it that really surprised me that took off was the self-filling part of it. The the amount of people that are, I guess, fans of what I do based on the fact that you're self-filming your hunts at the same time, you know, and really the self-filming was only, is the only way that you could show your hunt. If, If there was, if you weren't filming it by yourself, then you're not by yourself. You know, if you have a cameraman or any of that kind of thing. So that kind of blended together and was a whole interesting byproduct that helped launch and, and grow the, the popularity of it as well. You know, cause there's just as many people interested in the filming side of it as there is the, the hunting adventure side of it. So what, uh, what benefits would you see like over, over hunting with partners? Uh, what benefits do you see in solo hunting that you specifically experience? Well, there's personal benefits of just the, just being in nature alone, you know, just absorbing everything into you and not being, having any distractions or anything like that from, from anyone else, you know, and then there's sometimes you're just a more effective hunter when there's less movement, less smell, less, uh, negotiations or less arguments of which 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 ridge to climb or any of that like you can just become a more efficient machine now if you could just get rid of the cameras and everything that to me would be the ultimate like if i could just do what i do and not have to be filming the hunt like that would be exactly what i personally would want to do at this at this point in my life but i don't have the, the business side of it or the brand side of it without that so there's definitely advantages there the disadvantages are is is you don't have that support system. You know, if you're not the type of personality that can stick through a tough situation or that is very indecisive, um, you know, maybe not quite as experienced in the, in the wild as, as what you, as what you will be in five or 10 years, you know, then it's good to have that, that support system and that buddy. And, and of course, when you get that elk on the ground, man, it's so much nicer to have, have some, some friends with you than when you're by yourself. But, um, I, I think it's it's good to have a good mix. I mean, I I have a really good mix of solo hunting and hunting with friends and with my family. You know, it's it's just because that's that's my lifestyle. What what you guys see is dominantly the solo hunting stuff because that's what the TV show is and the brand. What you you don't see a lot of times is the fishing trips and the the coyote killing trips with my boy and different things that that I just don't make publicly and. You know, they just don't fit with the brand. And so if it's going to create any brand confusion or anything, I try to pull that out of it because I, I've experienced early on, you know, with Solo Hunter, it, it's like just because the name of the show is Solo Hunter and the brand is Solo Hunter and my hash, my Instagram tag is Solo Hunter, it doesn't mean that I'm a loner and have to be alone all the time. But I, I found that I was constantly getting people, well, who's taking the pictures? Well, who's doing this or who's doing that? Or if, if, if you've got a friend with you, how can you be solo hunter? And it's like, really? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, your handle's Whiskey Dick. Do you really have a Whiskey Dick? You know, I'm like, give me a break. 
So it's just it's just funny the things that, that people will do, like I say, on, on social media that, that they would never do if they were in the same room with you. I mean, they'd be shaking your hands and having fun and, and joking with you. But so so I guess to answer your question the short way, Solo Hunter is very, very limiting and it very it puts you in a pigeonhole because of the name Solo is really, really definitive. But at the same time, I'm getting older and, and you know, I learned to deal with the, with the crap a little bit easier. So it's just going to continue to be a part of my lifestyle, whether it's solo or not. That's, oh uh, gosh, that's, that's really funny. Like I, you actually get people that get really butthurt oh, dude. if you aren't completely by yourself at any given moment. <laughs> and, uh, I'm an, I'm in Alaska, my Alaska moose hunt. And I say right at the very beginning, my, I'm here with my friend, Ted, who we drew the tag together and, you know, I didn't say that he chose not to be on camera, but I probably should have. But um, I got ripped to shreds. You're not alone, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I'm 90 miles upriver in the middle of Alaska. You know, if somebody does that alone, they got, I mean, they're, they're studs, you know, and there are people that do. But I'm like, that's just not the tr- not the way the trip went down. So I don't know. <laughs> um, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, you can tell I take offense to some of them. I mean, how how can you not? But at the same time, it's just like give me a break. I mean, I had a guy, I had a guy on YouTube. I finally had to just delete him because he was going through every video and just basically calling me an idiot. You know, you could tell he was a, a hunter. Not he wasn't an anti hunter. He's definitely a hunter. And he's like, oh, you did this or you did that. Come on, don't lie. We know you did this. I'm like, no, I pretty sure I gutted the animal that night and then took pictures the next morning. I'm pretty sure I was there. You know. All you're seeing is 20 minutes of this this six week experience, you know. So just just those types of things. That if if someone just has it has it in their mind that they want to be negative and and uh, try to ruin somebody's day, they they can probably do it, you know. And, and it's going to ruin my d- half a day, maybe, but it's not going to ruin my whole day. <laughs> no, I I know exactly what you mean. I I maybe focus uh, a little bit more than I should sometimes on that stuff and let it uh, let it creep around in the back of my head for for a bit longer than it should rather than just either deleting it or ignoring it and moving on but uh, there's so much positivity there's so many oh, big yeah. things to look at and to to watch and experience and like I watch a video somebody somebody's so proud to release a film and they release the film and of course as a as a producer and somebody that's run a production company for years like I can see the flaws and the faults in the film, but it's like, it's a dang good film. He did a good job. You know, he worked hard and, and he's young and eventually he might, I mean, he's going to crank out some polished stuff, but I'm not going to be the guy that goes on there and say, your voice sucks or your music is terrible. Or, you know, uh, why did you kill a bigger bull? It's like, give me a break, man. Uh, so you just have to be happy for everybody. And I think that I'm generally, genuinely happy for everybody that's out there. No, that's awesome. That's a good attitude to have. And, you know, it's, if nothing else, man, okay, yeah, you see flaws in something someone's doing. Hey, how about instead of being a dick, you actually offer to help them out or something, you know? Um, you know just, just click the like button, say good work, and move on, man. I mean, yeah. this, there's so much more that can be done in the hunting industry with positivity than with negativity. Um, and, and that's really where we need to be as a, as a society, really, not just in the hunting industry. If we could all just scroll past something or just, I don't know, man, just, just be positive and, and 
think about the other person. You know, these are real people. Those those hashtags, those these names, these monikers, or whatever you might want to call them. Brax Outdoors, Backcountry Warrior, Angry Mountain Productions, you know, Shannon Hunt Fit, Hunt, Mount, Hunt Mountains. I'm just going through the the news, the Instagram newsfeed. I'm like, these are real people, you know, with real families and real lives and real feelings and real goals and real ambitions. Who the hell are we to try to ruin somebody's day or call somebody out because we don't like the picture that they posted? I mean, man. It's just crazy to me, you know, be happy for what that person is happy about because that person obviously wouldn't have posted that if they weren't happy about it, you know. So it's just you just got to be better as a society, better as a people. Definitely words to live by. Um, So would you say, uh, you know, say this was uh, back in uh, this uh, this last spring, I I hadn't. <laughs> struggled my way through Idaho yet and I told you I'm like okay I'm I'm kind of a crazy person and I'm going on my first uh first backcountry hunt and I'm doing uh doing some DIY uh DIY solo elk trip uh you know if somebody said they're doing their first uh first solo trip what uh, uh what advice might you have for that person I just go have fun like uh know your know your limits but know that you also have the ability to stretch past those limits. And, you know, in your case, it's a little bit different. You've got a long ways to go to get back home, but sometimes, sometimes it's okay to just go home for a few days and then head back out, you know, or to head back into town and have yourself a nice bowl of soup and, and get recharged, sleep in the back of your truck and then head back out. You know, I, I guess people look at that as a fault that I might have, but I look at it as, you know, that's what keeps me going. That's what will keep me going when I'm 80 is the fact that I know when to to slow down a little bit and can actually enjoy other things in life than to just kill myself in the mountains. So I'd say whatever you do, do what you're going to enjoy, um, but push, but be willing to push yourself. And on an elk hunt, I mean, you've got to find the elk first. Once you find the elk, then it's just just be cautious not to bump them out of the canyon because if you don't, if you, you know – let the elk just be elk. You could have a week's worth of just phenomenal hunting in one little draw because those elk are going to, they're going to kind of hang out in there, you know, but once you start pushing too hard or getting too aggressive or whatever else, you push them into a different part of the country, then you got to refine them again. And, you know, so. Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting point you make because yeah, people I think will give you some, give you some crap for, uh, for, going back into town for a couple of days or a day, whatever that is. And I mean, but if you look at it, it's like, okay, if going back into town lets you spend, you know, for one day lets you spend a, a good nine, 10 days in the field versus not going into town and maybe you only get four or five. Right. Right. What's, what's better. Okay. Yeah. You know, you may have stuck it out for a, a few extra days, but all in all your hunting time's cut in half. Yeah. You know, I don't, I kind of wish I had not uh, committed myself so heavily to where I was, and I could have could have maybe gone into town for for one of those days and rested, and and then come back out with a vengeance. But uh, uh, you know, live and learn. Well, backcountry hunts backcountry hunts are different. You know, you're really kind of vested into that that space, but really to be effective as a hunter, you know, um, you got to stay mobile. You got to be 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 able and willing 
to to just move you know i mean there's a lot of times where i'll go back in after deer and backpack in and i'm committed i'm there for the week and i don't see squat it's like man i just wasted my week i should have pulled out and gone somewhere else you know but that's also part of the experience that's part of the fun too um so it's just you just have to be accept accept that it's your adventure and be totally and completely content with the, the end result so do you have uh any particular favorite hunts that uh, somebody new getting into hunting may uh, could pull something out of uh, as they're going into their first hunts? I mean, as a, as a Western hunter, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about archery mule deer, you know, hunt deer, hunt deer <laughs> in August, you know, that's, you get to see a lot of, a lot of animals when, when their, their guard really isn't up as much. That's awesome. I mean, if you can get somebody in the elk woods during the peak of the rut, holy smokes. I mean, you're going to, you're going to either scare the crap out of them or you're going to get them hooked if you can get them in the right, the right areas. You know, um, I'm, I'm an avid whitetail hunter. Like I think that that would be a perfect way to introduce some, a youngster into the, the hunting industry or into hunting, excuse me, is just get them in a tree stand, you know, or a ground blind and just get them around these animals and just watch and interact. I mean, it was really cool in Oklahoma. I took my phone out and I FaceTimed my, my family cause I knew that there was a time change. So I FaceTimed them. And like, they're watching all the deer walk around my feet and stuff. And, and I mean, it was just really, really cool for them to experience that. So there's the main thing is, is, is somebody new getting into it, do something that you have a high probability of success or an, an, at least a high probability of, of being able to see and be around animals and then, you know, expand it from there. Cause the more that you can be around animals and watch them and watch how they interact and, and react to different situations the more you're going to learn about the animals and then the same same thing goes with the terrain and the countryside the more time you spend in the mountains um, or in the prairies or wherever you're going to be hunting the more familiar you're going to, you're going to be with the wind changes and the, and the directions and the thermals and all those kinds of things so you have to incremental you know take everything in its own category and approach it with a learning ask, with a learning mind to learn as much as you can about that category, you know, animals, country, environment, you know, weather patterns, whatever, whatever it might be. And just take, take it all, take the whole thing in and realize that there's more than just going hunting, you know? So if you could, uh, if you could only hunt one animal for the rest of your life, what would it would be? I don't know. Probably elk, I guess, or deer. <laughs> and that's always the there's a lot of there's so many animals i've never hunted that uh i, I imagine i could probably get pretty absorbed into but um i i, I honestly see myself in my when i get old is playing a lot of golf and shooting a crap load of whitetails i, I can that's kind of how i see it so all right all right and so also like you said there's a lot of animals you haven't hunted yet what would be like your dream hunt you know uh tags money whatever notwithstanding just what would be the the one hunt that you would love to go on more than anything else yeah i'll tell you the same thing i told the uh the team backcountry guys the, the it's it's like i want to go on a mountain goat moose mountain caribou grizzly bear uh dal sheep stone sheep combo hunt that's what i want to do oh you know what i put in for that tag i think you know <laughs> That or that combo, that combo hunt. That, uh, yeah. Well, there's more than one tag that you got to draw on that one. Yeah, you got to uh, win the lottery. You got to have a t- 
you gotta have a rich uncle that decides that that you're his favorite favorite nephew. You know, thinks you're really cool and wants to fund your efforts. So. And then you got to have a month straight to hunt it. I yeah, imagine. and I and I want to do it with you know specific outfitters. So yeah, <laughs> those hunts you can't do solo. You can't legally. You can't do them alone. So that's that's my dream hunt right there. There's a close <laughs> one. The Lancasters do one that is a mountain goat, moose, mountain caribou uh, combo, and I think you can throw in a grizzly or a black bear in there as well. But they've got that that combo hunt. A buddy of mine went and did it. Um, several years ago, like, oh, that's, that'd just be a fun hunt, you know? That's yeah, definitely several of those. Uh, I've, I never in my life thought I would be interested in hunting mountain goat or sheep. Just, you know, getting into it. I, I saw elk and I'm like, oh man, that's, that's the thing for me. And, and, and mule deer. I'm like, those are pretty cool too. Maybe even, even some bear, but I never thought I would find myself like being interested in mountain goat or, or sheep. Yeah. And now all you people have infected me and I'm, <laughs> I'm well obsessed with, with them now too. I like a variety. I mean, there's certainly the hunts that I do every year that I, that I will always do every year, but every once in a while I take a break. I mean, there was, there was like a four year stretch there where I didn't hunt elk for like three or four years, you know, cause I just kind of got burned out. My area got burned out and I might be there now. My area is a little bit burned out now, but um, you know, it is what it is, but I, I like to do different things. I want to do a blacktail hunt and a, a coastal blacktail, and want to go to, to Alaska and do a Sitka blacktail up there. And you know, there's a lot of things that I want to do. Caribou, I mean, just tons of things. But at this point, you know, I got a young family. My kids, my kids are. You know, I got two daughters and, and one son, so there's a little bit of college and weddings to pay for, and <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm going to be greedy in my old age. I want a lifestyle to that will that will be fun when I retire. And so making some sacrifices now, but I'm also very blessed and can do a lot of the, a lot of hunts that, um, you know, others might not be able to do. So I, I could definitely go on bigger and badder hunts if that was the priority, but it's, it's really not my lifelong goal. It'd be, it'd be kind of short term gratification. So, uh, how old are the, the kids? Are they, uh, any of them old enough to start getting into hunting yet? Yep. So Hudson did his, he's my oldest, he's 13. He did his hunter safety and everything. We didn't draw any tags last year or this year in Nevada. You have to draw a tag. And then the dang kid, he's so busy with football and basketball and baseball and everything else that getting him to take him to Idaho or to Oklahoma or somewhere with me where he can hunt. Um, it just hasn't happened. I almost got him to go with me to Idaho, but he had some, I don't know, some scout camp or something going on that he had to do. So, (laughs) They just get busier. When he was little, like I had, we we lived in Oklahoma for a year, and he he'd come with me out there and climb trees and hunt, and then move back to Idaho. And I mean, he was with me all the time until he until he got into kindergarten. Like I'd take him everywhere. Then once he got in kindergarten, man, then it's like it just got busy. And he's gone on a few other hunts with me. He's been on the show a few times, but man, then once he got ten or twelve and started getting into baseball and everything else. Golly, he's not going to have any time until he's done with high school. So. <laughs> I I definitely, a lot of the people I've talked with, I've heard that story. They're like, yeah, you know, I grew up doing it with my dad. And then, then you know, I got into high school and started doing baseball and football and just and, and didn't really do it. And then yeah. 
after college, I said, screw that. I'm going hunting again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's funny, my brother, my younger brother, he quit uh, football because he wanted to hunt. And the coaches were kind of dinks. And um, (laughs) my other brother, Boyd, I don't don't think – I can't – he played football. He had to have played football. But, like, it was a sacrifice, man. Between chores and sports, you really only had a couple couple nights of – out of the week or you had Saturdays. That was it. You know, so, so much of our hunting was just one day hunts where it was just a, it was just a ball buster, jump in the, the car and go, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun in high school. I wish I would have had, I wish I would have been my dad in high school. That's for sure. Well, you know, that's, that's almost kind of similar to the, the problems with, I know a lot of people like myself deal with where it's, you know, you got the nine to five job and you're, you got only so many vacation days and weekends. And especially when you live in Los Angeles, I mean, we got, you know, we got blacktail and and bear and pig, not too far out of town, but, um, you know, our deer season is so short. I'm, I'm lucky. We've got a, we got a late season archery tag right around Los Angeles. I mean, mountain lion, mountain lions have eaten most of the deer out here, but, uh, uh, you know, at least I can, go chase them and pretend like I'm hunting. You, but, you never know what you might get into. Yeah. Well, and I'm getting, I'm going to hopefully get into some trouble in Arizona. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying, it's a five hour drive, depending on five, six hour drive, depending on where I want to hunt. And so, uh, I'm hoping I can take some long weekends and hop in the car and just do a, a little, uh, no sleep, no sleep trip, uh, there and back and, yeah. and see if I can, chase some some mealy or or coos deer yeah well i think that's one thing a lot of people may not realize about my hunting is 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 very rarely am i hunting anywhere closer than eight or ten hours from the house you know just because you you don't draw these nevada tags all the time so if you're out in idaho or utah or shoot montana anywhere else like it's a jaunt for me and that's another reason why why you know some hunts are uh, uh, unsuccessfully drive all day monday hunt Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, drive all day Friday, you know, so a little tough to do it that way. So, um, is there any essential gear, maybe a couple pieces? I know you, you don't want to be the gear expert, but, uh, maybe some stuff you use that as a, as a solo hunter makes your life a lot easier, um, when you're in the backcountry. So maybe just a couple of pieces of gear that you really rely on or you like. So I'm an avid, you know, passionate public land hunter. Um, a lot of times the, the lines between public and private is are blurred. So Onyx maps, I mean, I, I know I'm sponsored by them, but I was using them for three or four years before I even got a sponsorship with them. So I have to have my, my maps, you know, before it was Onyx, it was my BLM maps that I bought at the BLM office with the, with that showed, you know, the different, the different lands. So mapping is definitely, definitely key. Um, you got to run a good pack. You're living out of your pack. Uh, and I've, I, for one, have gone through so many different brands of packs and different packs. And I've liked things about every one of them and I've disliked things about every one of them. So find a pack that fits your body well and that can, uh, you know, give you, give you access to all your gear really quick and that you can feel comfortable with. Boots. Sheesh. Boots these <laughs> are the, the number one probably. Um, footwear. So make sure that you got a good pair of boots. I've, I've, I've made that mistake on a hunt. I did a, I'm not even going to say which hunt it was, but I did a, a real deep hunt where we, 
ended up killing the animal 16 miles deep and we were there for the week and oh my gosh my feet were just destroyed and i don't think that they've healed yet to this day you know uh, so make sure you make sure you got boots that are gonna do do your feet well and i could recommend some but i won't because your feet are different than my feet and his feet are different than her feet and what works for somebody doesn't work for somebody else and vice versa yeah i got i got lucky and you know the I've got, I'm actually wearing them right now. Uh, uh, the first pair of boots I got are, were just awful, but when I started buying some actual high quality hunting boots, uh, I got really lucky with the pair I bought. They, you know, they fit my feet perfectly and stuff like that, but it's such a so, personal thing. It's so hard because so few of the retail stores carry the high end boots, you know, or, or a lot, mm-hmm. a big variety of high end boots. So you're getting such a small sampling and to just order them online. Like I, I got bad, you know, you'd go on Amazon and I'd order three or four pairs of boots, you know, at one time and figure out which ones worked or if any of them, and then send them back. And fortunately I don't have to do that now. You know, I've got connections with, with the boot manufacturers now, luckily, but, um, you know, you just got to find something that works for you in different situations. And I might wear, you know, I wore a boot last year. It's one from Under Armour. They're in Phil Ops. You know, I didn't. I wasn't real particular, particularly fond of a lot of their boots, but that boot just worked for me. You know, on a lot of the hunts that I went on, and then there was a couple of hunts where that boot just didn't work, where I had to wear something a little bit beefier. You know, um, so if, if you've got the ability to change it up, that's that's ideal. Wear a lightweight, you know, lightweight screamer that can can make you be light and fast during the early season, and then beef it up as you go. Yeah, and then cater it to kind of the terrain and. You can do that. That's great, but it's not always not always possible. Now, I know this obviously varies a bunch from hunt to hunt, but uh, what kind of going in solo? What kind of what kind of pack weight do you do you tend to carry? I don't know. It's as heavy as whatever my gear my gear weighs. Whatever I need to take in, that's how much it weighs. I have no idea. I've never weighed my pack once. Really? I take that back. I was thirteen. And my friends and I were with my scout group. We were going on a, a it's like a seven mile pack trip, and we weighed our packs then. And and my pack was like thirty three pounds, and my friend's pack was twenty seven pounds. So, but since then, I've never weighed my pack because I don't care. It's the gear that's in my pack I need, and it's proven over years of of experience that I need it. And it doesn't matter what it weighs. If I've, I've got more weight around my waist and on my belly and on my shoulders and on my neck that I could lose that is a lot more important than to pull weight out of my pack, you know? So <laughs> it, it is what it is. Like you can try to lighten your load, but um, if it's something you need, you're only screwing yourself really. <laughs> that- so I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I mean, I, if I were to guess, I'd say my day running weight with all the camera gear and everything somewhere between 25 to 45, you know, depending on the hunt and the amount of what lenses I feel like carrying that day or that week. So I don't think it varies. Do you ever, do you ever find that, uh, I mean, I, I guess I know the answer, but, uh, find that all the, the setup and filming and stuff like that, uh, has that added a lot of difficulty to your hunts? Uh, it did. It did early on. Like it added a lot of weight and a lot of just hassle, because I was trying to overcomplicate it, you know, now that I've simplified my system, I mean, it, it, I think it, it's funny. I've never really done a video of exactly what I use. Brian was talking to me about that and hammered me because 
we got all these questions and I was looking at his camera equipment and I'm like, dude, you're screwing yourself, man. There's way too much going on here. Simplify this crap. But it's like, once I was able to dial in my camera gear and what works and not, not always chasing what the next newest, latest, greatest thing is and just settle on what works. And I've had the same camera set up now for three years. I mean, this, this next season will be filming into my third year. Like once you get that figured out and you know that camera, you could, you could run that camera with your eyes closed. Um, that's what makes it easier. And then on the hunting side of it, sometimes it actually makes me more effective because I feel like I have to slow down and I want to try to document it as I go. And so that, that makes me slow way down and, and do that. And then other times you just have to realize when not to film, when hunting is more important to get into position let things, let the dust settle, let, let the animal you do their thing. And then all of a sudden you'll realize, Hey, you know what, if I'm real careful, I can slide this tripod up and I can get the camera on this, this deer or elk or whatever it is and mash the record button. And then whatever happens from there happens. And then you might realize, well, crap, that, that elk doesn't even know I'm here. Now I can reach up and grab the camera and actually pan and zoom and get some really neat footage here. And then next thing you know, you're focusing on being a cameraman and then you're like, well, crap, I could kill this elk right here. So you let go and you kill it. And you're like, well, that worked. And then other times it doesn't, you know, other times it just gets in the way. And so like I was telling Brian, he was, he, we were looking at his footage and I'm like, sheesh, how long you been filming, man? I'm like, you're, are you going to, I go, are you going to kill that deer? And he's like, no, I wasn't going to kill that deer. And I'm like, well then film it, be a cameraman. You know, you got to have to kind of realize when you're, when it's a good time to film and when you're in hunt mode. And so if, if, if there's an animal there that I know I'm not going to kill or I know that I can't kill or he's not quite in the position where I can kill him, I'm going to film him just like I would if I was filming your hunt, you know, and you were sitting there with the bow and I was your cameraman. Like I want to film that clear until the time where he's all of a sudden where it's like, oh, okay, he's in my zone. Now it's time to reach over and grab the bow and, and do what I need to do, you know? So, but it all comes with experience. I mean, I've botched so many hunts and, and botched so much film over the years that it's not even funny. Um, for every successful hunt that you see on my on my show or on YouTube, there's that many unsuccessful ones or more. So I know this is probably one uh, everyone asks you, but uh, for someone maybe like myself, you know, I'm not looking to, to put out a TV show, but I'd, I'd maybe like, uh, like some good photos or some good footage just to either throw up on YouTube or just to help me remember my hunts. Uh, any, anything you'd recommend like a good mini kit to start with? Yeah. Smartphone, man. Good smartphone. So, so much. I mean, you can take such a killer photo and little video clips with a, with a smartphone. It's just, I don't know. That's really all a guy needs if they're not trying to produce something. But if you're trying to put together little video clips and this and that, yeah, just a handy cam, get a video camera. Don't, I mean, these DSLRs are really popular and everybody wants to run them and you can have the ability to change lenses and all that, but it's, it takes, a, it's, there's a learning curve to that. So if you're just starting, just get an HD handy cam. I mean, Sony makes a pile of them. Canon makes a pile of them. Just anything that'll, that has decent video quality, that's not going to really complicate things. Um, but you kind of have to also have an end goal in mind of what you want to do with it. Um, if you're just randomly taking pictures and, Shooting video makes it really hard to package something in the end. I've been there. So I don't know. I Like I say, I have a tendency to really oversimplify things um, to the point where I honestly believe. In fact, I've got a uh, – I haven't uploaded it yet. I've got it in my email to upload that. The majority of, of 
my elk pack out and this episode that I was going to put on outdoor channel and I didn't end up doing it is all filmed with my iPhone, you know, and it was because the weather was so crappy that it jacked up my video camera and that's, and I didn't want to ruin it anymore. And so I just filmed everything with my iPhone because it's replaceable, you know? So mm-hmm. that's what it was. And the audio sucked and the video was up marginal, but Hey, the story was still there. And that's really, at the end of the day, that's really what matters. I think people, you know, if I'm watching a film, it's really easy to say, wow, that's a neat shot. You know, he, he had that on a slider or that's a cool jib shot or that's a sweet rack focus or look at that. It's amazing. But did it add to the story sometimes, you know, and sometimes not. And I think sometimes people get caught up in trying to produce a film and not just document the adventure. And that's what I'm all about is documenting what I'm doing and then trying to throw a little little bit of cinematography into it. No, that's that's definitely good i'd rather watch a i'd rather watch a poorly shot film that has a a good story and uh behind it than than vice versa so yeah it's hard to it just depends on you this good thing that there's so many different types of content out there because there's so many different types of viewers and consumers and you know i I don't think i'm your typical consumer um so it's it's cool that there is so much of it out there at the end of the day you've got to just produce what you want and what your goals are, you know, and if, if, if it's, if, if you want to go the route of, of the cinematography and the producing and the setting up a shot and trying to get the wow factor for the shot and all that, then that, then do that, you know? Um, but it's like I was talking to Brian, I'm like, are we producing films for other filmmakers or for, for those of us in the industry, or are we producing films for the majority of the people that are watching our films, you know? And that was just, just gave us something to think about most people most people aren't going to notice that my lighting was off a little bit or my, that my color was off a little bit uh you didn't white balance that shot uh you're gonna need yeah, that. yeah that white balance sucks man i mean your exposure is way out there Ugh, just I throw it out you were shooting in that that frame rate golly never mind the giant elk rack on your back yeah yeah right <laughs> so it, it, i mean it's whatever you're whatever you're after so so uh where can where can people watch the show so you can watch it on Outdoor Channel until Christmas. So it's we're on the Outdoor Channel from July through January or through through December, excuse me. And then after that, we'll be able to start trickling out the new episodes onto YouTube. Right now, all of the new episodes and bonus features and everything else are all on our website as part of the All Access platform. Um, so they can watch it all there. Instagram is just solo HNTR on Instagram. If you Google solo hunter, you'll find something somewhere. <laughs> you'll land somewhere where you'll get, you'll see what it's about and see if you're interested in it or not. Uh, tell me really quick about the, the all access pass, uh, package that, that gives you access to the shows, uh, some additional content with the podcast as well. Right. 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 So with the outdoor channel, we're limited to contracts because of the cable providers and everything else. They, they hamstring the outdoor channel to when they can release the content. So we have all this new content, new episodes that are only being seen by traditional TV watchers. We can't upload those publicly to any digital platform via YouTube or Vimeo or anything else until a certain, certain date within the contract, I was able to chisel out, you know, the ability to do those on our website as long as it was locked down. So the membership package gives us the ability to not breach our contracts, but we can also release new and fresh content in a total packaged way. So the all access is our complete digital video library, as well as a lot of bonus footage and things that haven't been seen on TV that aren't on YouTube. There's some films on there. 
So it's a complete and total viewing package of Solo Hunter. With that, there's also um, full access to the full-length podcasts that we're doing that we just launched, as well as you know members of the all-access get 20% discount on all merchandise for the life of their membership. They get automatically entered into drawings. So right, we gave away a whitetail hunt last month. This month, we're giving away a new Prime Synergy bow. Um, next month, we got an awesome package that we're putting together with Joel, some artwork that he's doing of, of some bighorn sheep and some different things. So it's and that's available to members only to, to give them the values. Like, okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna write Burnett a forty eight dollar check, what do I get out of it besides just watching his videos that are eventually going to be on YouTube anyway? And that's that's what that does. It gives them a lot more opportunities, a lot more value. That's awesome. Uh, so forty eight bucks uh, is that annually? Forty eight dollars annually. Yep. And right now we're working on. Joel doesn't like the idea, but um, working on a package, a welcome package. I did it when I did the, the beta testing. I had a welcome package, so I was including hats and shirts and different things. And then I kind of pulled that away because I wasn't able to keep up with the inventory on it fast enough during <laughs> hunting season. So I was like, okay, I better stop that. And so we we lowered the price and pulled out the welcome package. And now, you know, we're at the point, well, after the first of the year, we'll keep the price where it is and include in that a hat and some other items um, to really bolster the welcome package. Because it's, like I say, it's not necessarily a platform that I'm looking at, at making a ton of money on. It's just something that um, gives us the ability to get the content out there. And then also, you know, as as YouTube um ad rates and revenue dropped and tanked and as sponsorships changed and different things, it's like, okay, yeah, it is a little bit of a revenue stream as well, but you know what? That's business. If a guy can figure out how to package his content that is in demand and um, have the ability to continue to do that and not have to go get a day job, I'm, I'm all about it, man. And there's been some negativity to it of why, why are you doing this? I'm like, well, then wait, wait a year, wait six months. Cause by the time those episodes hit the air, those hunts are two years old. You know, so um, it, it's up to it's, it just is what it is. You know, <laughs> get things a lot more live and a lot more current with the all access. And if you're a fan of Solo Hunter, I mean, most guys are spending hundreds of dollars of purchasing merchandise off the store. Like 48 bucks is, is not I, I spend a lot more money than that for entertainment that I consume. Let's put it that way. For sure. Um I will. Uh, I'll make sure to throw up a link to all that stuff on our show notes page. That's going to be livingcountryinthecity.com/slash forty-seven. Uh, you know, before we finish up, uh, I always like to end with maybe just any advice or inspiration. You know, if someone came to you and said, "Hey, you know, I'm I, I want to get into hunting. Uh, I've just I don't I never done it before. Maybe maybe someone that lives in the city that just doesn't have access to these resources." And they're feeling a little bit intimidated by uh, by getting into hunting. What would you uh, What would you say to that person? My advice would be to purge your purge your sources. So go through your your friends list and everybody that you know personally to have a personal relationship with anybody that has or has ever hunted before. And I'd get with them and talk with them personally. And then from there, once you've exhausted all those resources, then go to ask them if they have any friends. You know, the referral system and kind of move that way. The more you can do at grassroots and on a personal level, the more response and the better advice that you're going to get. After that, once you've exhausted all that and there's just nobody in your circles or you're just not getting what you want, then I guess that's when you reach out to social, you know, and anybody that you've had interaction with, 
on social media or whatever that, that has seemed to be a little outgoing or, or receptive, you know, you kind of hit them up a little bit and maybe you collaborate and you say, Hey, let's, let's go on a hunt together. I can, I can bring the, the food and you can do this or whatever and, and, and do that. Um, you can go to your local archery shops or local sporting goods stores. Those are, you know, the local archery shops or small shops would be awesome because those people are, have, have more of a, willingness i guess to open up than your big box stores do um and just just basically you have to try to find someone that is willing to communicate that information to you and you have to do your own research too. get online and 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 look at those the states you know learn the hunting regulations learn the hunting units and see the numbers and then you know put in for some some hunts whether it's over the counter or draw hunts and go do it but you really you have to take the initiative there's Aside from a, a father figure or a family friend, it's really difficult for people to take time out of their day to to hold someone's hand and, and show them the ropes. There are people that have done that. There was you know a person that did that for me early on, but those those people are fewer and farther between these days. I think um, just because his life is so busy, so you just got to keep keep pushing. And if, if need be, and it's all on your shoulders, you got to have the mentality that it's like, okay, I'm going to make this happen, whether it's on my shoulders or not. And then eventually you're going to, you're going to have a group of friends to hunt together and, and have experiences. And next thing you know, it's 10 years later and you've killed three or four elk and, and life is good, but nothing comes overnight without somebody being able to, to help you out, you know, early on. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the show with me today. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. You bet. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 47 of Living Country in the City. Y'all can find links to check out all of Tim's stuff on our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 47. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Solo Hunter podcast. There's some really great content on there. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. 